Good evening, everyone, and welcome. My name is Brenda Manis, and it's an absolute delight to be here with you. This talk we're having on the absolutely thrilling production of Small Island. I'm delighted to have with me both Helen Edmondson and Rufus Norris. Helen, obviously, as you know, adapted Andrew Levy's novel, and Rufus chose to direct this one. So, Rufus, I'd like to start with you. Now, Andrew's award-winning novel. For how did it first become part of your schedule? The beginning of it was actually in 2000, and I mean, you may know this better than me. I think it was in 2014. So I was appointed in 2013, towards the end of 2013. And then during 2014, for a while, uh, Tessa Ross, who, who many of you will know from her film and television work, joined the leadership of the organization. And it was, I, my memory of it is that it was her idea and I think she instigated that, and I think we probably approached Helen, uh, sorry, uh, Andrea at that point. And, and you'd have to pick it up from there in terms of what the process went through. Uh, so I was aware of it and said, yeah, look, this is, this is fantastic. Let's see if we can get the, the ball rolling. And then Andrea, my memory of it is that she went, I want her to do it. Is that your...? Um, I think so. I think that's what <laughs> happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, like a lot of the shows at the National, we developed it, we started in the studio, which is, you know, the, the sort of experimental space where people can try work out, um, very well resourced, so you can get great companies of actors to come in and just sort of play for a, a week or two weeks. And so that was my first, um, after I'd had discussions with Andrea and... Um, we'd agreed that we were going to go ahead. That was, you know, there was a lovely development process in the studio, which the, f the first um, workshop Andrea came along to um, would sit, and it was before I'd put pen to paper, and she would say, uh, I would say, I would love to have a look at this scene from the book. Can we, you know, let's have a go at just putting it on its feet. And, and Andrea would read the chapter for all of us, so it was like kind of story time, and we'd all sit around and listen to her read with such expression she was a brilliant uh, reader of her own work so yeah that so that that was my first you know that was where we kicked off had you already had a long relationship with her did she trust you with her baby as it were yeah I mean we had lots of discussions and you know I had a couple of meetings with her before she okayed me to to go ahead and undo the adaptation she'd seen some of my work and yeah and then we we sort of around the time of the workshop we spent quite a lot of days together just sitting in a in a small room going through the book page by page and so that she could just share with me you know why she wrote what she wrote um where the characters came from what the politics were behind her the decisions which she made and sharing with me her research and stuff like that so I mean that was amazingly helpful and just a huge privilege really it's an amazing tribute to her extraordinary legacy but were you were there things that you yourselves were concerned with in taking this on i suppose there are two things really one is whenever you adapt anything from one medium to another you have to make it fit the medium so making sure that the, the that the form emerged from the content i guess you know that how how is this really going to work as a piece of theater rather than you know, rather than just, if you can't be bothered to read the book, then come and see the shortened version of it, um, or get it in one evening. It's got to make its case. 
as a, as a piece of theatre. And that is, that's, a, that's a weird alchemy, and one, um, it, it, a, a one actually in which Helen is, is probably practised more than any other writer in, in, you know, in our, in our theatre culture. And the other thing is just to honour her, really. I mean, uh, you know, the, 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 for, for us both, for everybody in the creative team, for all of the cast particularly because of the, the, the timing of her passing. I think it was, it, you know, it was really, really essential to, to almost be aware of her on our sh collective shoulders the whole time. And she was never backwards in coming forward. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, that was the key thing, is, is this, would, you know, would she have said yes? Would she have approved? Uh, would she have thought that this was a worthwhile... In an age where we're getting increasingly sensitive about cultural appropriation, were you mindful of the fact that here were two um, white creatives taking on the work of a, a quite iconic black author? Absolutely, yeah. And how was that managed? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it was managed by Andrew in the first instance. I think what, what Helen's talking about is an education, really. And certainly when the first time I met Andrea, we met together and she hadn't... Uh, I think she hadn't... Something had got lost in the post. I'd read the first draft and loved it and thought, well, let's, let's go ahead and, and, you know, I would like to put myself forward for this, for this job. And, um, and she hadn't realised that I was pitching myself as the director. And, she, and so partway through the conversation, she said, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, are you saying you're going to direct it? And I said, well, I'd like to propose that as an idea. And she said, well, what makes you think I'm going to let you do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> Which uh, you know, which was great, and absolutely what she was, what she was like, and and you know, she she was a completely wonderful person, but she didn't pull her punches, and and I said, you know, because uh, I, I I think I uh, I think I love it, and I think I've worked on this stage before, and it's of a very anyway. The conversation went on, and 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 I went into a, a, a different version of the education, where she talked me through. She really talked me through why it was essential for me to, for me to catch up with Helen in viewing the, viewing the piece through her prism, not through mine. Mm -hmm. You know, she was like, you're, you, all your interesting post-colonial blah, 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 I'm not interested. This is about my prism, this is my story, and you need to understand it from this perspective. I don't want you to feel sorry for any of these people. They're three-dimensional, they're aspirational, and you, you have to respect them uh, and and uh, consequently my work. And she went through, you know, we went through her photo album of her family members to, you know, she, I mean, you know, lots of, uh, lots of, lots of stuff. So that was, in a way, that was the first part of it. You know, we are two members of a creative team that, that numbered, um, you know, 10 or 12, and half of them were of Caribbean heritage. Coral Messam, who's the, the choreographer, and uh, Ben, who wrote the music, and Shadisa, who's the... Design associate, my associate, and uh, half of the projection design team, obviously uh, just over half the cast. Um, that's one way to make sure that you're kept on track, I think, uh, because there are plenty of people there with, uh, if you'll f pardon the pun, a great deal of skin in the game, who, who's, you know, who, who you know, absolutely adamant on, on the piece reflecting what they understand the story to be about as well. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. It's, I, I mean, it's something that we were hyper-aware hyper of. As you've just mentioned, she was adamant that we don't approach these characters with sympathy, that they, have, they have a very strong sense of pride. So how do you pump life into them from the page 
working with the actors? How was how does how was the characters developed, and why did you choose to to focus on three as opposed to four? I mean, that that really was just a question of you know time, stage time. In the book, Bernard has there is a really extensive section of Bernard's experiences during the war, which is incredibly sort of interesting and and riveting, but. It just felt as though... I mean, Rufus said something quite early on in the process, which I, I just thought was, was right. You know, is, Small Island is Britain and it is Jamaica. And if we followed Bernard to his... You know, in his experiences in India and Burma, then we're introducing a whole new world. And, um, and also, I think, you know... The, I remember talking to Andrew about it and we discussed the fact that actually... If you tell Bernard's story in his war experiences without being able to tell the same experiences from the point of view of the, um, you know, the, the, the Burmese people who were involved in the war or the Indians, actually it just becomes very, very one-sided and it didn't feel in keeping with the, the piece. But yeah, I mean, the characters did just they are, you know, they jump off the page. Uh, and um, I, had, I didn't feel like I had any... Once I'd done my thinking and my research and once I'd found a way into it structurally, making the characters live and breathe was, you know, not something that worried me at all. There was so much... Uh, there was such a wealth of uh, really rich uh, stuff there in the book to, to draw on. And um, it's the first time that I've actually felt that I compelled to, to do direct address in a play. I've never done it before. Uh, but I just felt like those, those characters are so, you know, they're so big-hearted, those three, Hortense and, and Gilbert and Queenie, that I just felt compelled for them that, that they speak to the audience and share, you know, share it on a very, very one-to-one -one, um, basis, what they were going through. And the humour, you know, they're so, they're funny as well as being complicated and they don't necessarily always behave well. Um, you know, they're really rounded, ex extraordinary characters. You're working with a cast, some of them weren't even born or some of them probably don't even know much about the Windrush. How did you get around that? How did they have their history lessons and, how did, and what shape did that take? We had, um, we had a good variety of... I mean, they, I know they've visited the Black History Archives, but we all, I mean, we were incredibly lucky to have Alfred come in, who was one of the, you know, is what, was one of the, is the, one of the only surviving original, you know, passengers from the Windrush. And he came down from Leeds with his son and came into rehearsals and uh, shared his stories. A lot of them, I mean, he was, he was very twinkly, quite mischievous. Um, you know, people asked very, very earnest questions, um, and often his answers were quite, uh, you know, there, there, were, uh, there was a lot of humour. He, uh, he was a great guy, and he came on the first night to see the show, which was lovely, and I think he really enjoyed it. Um, but, have, you know, having that was great. Um, you know, half the cast are uh, of Caribbean heritage, mm. so most of them were... were uh, were more educated than we were about this before the first day of rehearsal. So, there, you know, there, uh, a lot of people were bringing their own, you know, their own family stories. 
uh, or it had prompted them, the process, you know, or being cast in it had prompted them to, to talk to their gran or their, you know, their parents. So, yeah, so I think there was, a, there was also a lot of... And, we, you know, we watched some documentaries and, and uh, uh, I think everybody read the novel, which is obviously the, uh, the best Give it to them all as presents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that happen. There was a quote I read, and I'm, even as a journalist, I'm cautious about quotes and tell me if it's right or wrong, but it said that you said that there's never a better time to see a play than in rehearsal when imaginations are running wild and you're up close and personal with pumping life into these actors. If that's, is, is, if, is that true? Did you say something along those lines? Is, is that the case? Is that when it's, it's best for you as well, creators? It's one of those things you say it and then you immediately regret it because, of course, that's, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know this, this show, I think, is brilliantly designed and an awful lot of people work very, very hard uh, to realise it in a, in, a, uh, in a visual way. Um, which, of course, you don't have in rehearsal. But there's something about... I guess that there's two things, really. One is, uh, it, you know, those of you who've seen the show or are going to see the show, you might have seen it from there or there or there or there. It's quite good if you see it from here. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing like having, having those, you, you know, the, the actors really um, uh, exploring that, particularly the more kind of emotional or joyous moments of it right in front of you. Um, but I guess more importantly than that, in rehearsal, they're discovering it. So what you're seeing is people, is artists in, in process finding those moments for the very first time. And that is, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, it's terrible, but, um, but it doesn't matter even then because you're, you, you know, you're really part of that, of that moment of, of discovery. And it, I'm also biased. I'm a director. Once, once the show opens, I'm impotent. <laughs> so so I, I, I like being in the place where I can still get my hands on it. I can imagine, well, I can only imagine what it was, sadly, that we, that we lost Andrea in February. What impact did that have on you and the, and the cast? Yeah, Andrea died on the 14th, and we started rehearsals about three or four days later. Mm. And it felt, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was incredibly tough, actually. The first, the first couple of days we had a... A photograph of her on the wall in the rehearsal room, and um, a photograph of her mum, who, who, you know, so much of Hortense is based on Andrea's mum. We watched the documentary which she made recently about her life and work. Um, I think, I think it just intensified that feeling, you know, apart from obviously kind of the, you know, our own personal sense of, of sadness. Um, but it did really intensify that feeling that we wanted this show to be, you know, we wanted it to be really, really good, and we wanted it to be a, a proper tri tribute to her and her her work. So that, yeah, I think you know, we felt that it had become a sort of le her legacy, um, you know, along with her brilliant books. But it had become part of her legacy. So it was, it just, yeah, really intensified the sense of. Responsibility. I'm going back a little bit, but um, what is it about the play? Can, can you put your finger on it? What is it that makes it such amazing fodder for, for an adaptation in terms of theme and what it allows you as creatives? Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, whenever I'm asked to think about adapting a book, 
I, I always ask myself, you know, why, why would I do this story? How, how is it going to resonate with an audience today? Is it important? Does it tackle themes which, which um, are, you know, really important for all of us and which people might, which will, you know, that, that, that the play will in some way um, add to the debate or, you know, sh shine a light on something? And this one, you know, it's, it's really, really clear. Even, even before, you know, we, obviously we started work long before the, the Windrush mm. kind of scandal really hit. Um, it just felt so important to be looking at, amongst other things, Im, you know, immigration, is, issues around immigration, issues around people wanting to have a better life, uh, people's aspirations, everybody, you know, just wanting, wanting uh, the chance of their life being you know, better in some way or fulfilling their potential. So there were such enormous themes there on, on a sort of, you know, a, a smaller level and also on a kind of huge level that, um, you know, there was no way that I wasn't going to do it. You know, it felt, it felt truly important. Do you share that sentiment, Rufus? Do you think that part of theatre's role is to preserve our history? Yeah, or hold it, hold it up. I mean, I, I think, um, you know... We didn't, we didn't know that the Windrush scandal was going to break. We didn't know that Brexit was going to happen. We didn't know that now, uh, um, you know, there's this, there's this competition going on to see who can out-right-wing the other. Can I ask a question? Could you put your hand up if you weren't born in London? If you were not born in London? Wow. Thank you. Uh, can you put your hand up if you were... Okay, so I would say that's four or five to one. Uh, those of you that put your hands up who weren't, you are all, by definition, economic migrants, which is what I am, uh, which is what all three of the key characters in the play are. So at a moment where, where the, you know, there are all kinds of uh, easy labels being flung around, to have a, to have a story that, that illustrates the, you know, the, the, um, the stuff that we have in common is one thing. I also think... Uh, this, is, this is a timeless point in a way, but um, it's funny, you know, at the European elections uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Lithuania where I, I'd gone with um, members of my family, uh, my mother-in-law, on, on a kind of pilgrimage uh, because my partner's family, uh, her, her father, is descended from people who fled Lithuania a long time ago. And we were staying with a, in the house of a political scientist, and I asked her in the morning what she thought about what was going on in the UK uh, with the whole Brexit stuff, because it was the weekend of the European elections. And she said, I think you've never been invaded. Uh, I think you have no idea about your history. Um, uh, and we here in Lithuania, and she went through some of the, the history of things that have happened in, in Lithuania that we know about, the so, you know, Soviet... Um, uh, the German, you know, uh, the, the pogroms and everything else... Um, and I, th I think this country is in denial about its colonial history massively. Uh, we don't own that at all. We have, not been, we have not been humbled in any way, so we can lie to ourselves about the degree to which we are interdependent um, with much of the rest of the world. And I think, th I think the play uh, and the book are very important illustrations of that. There's a lot of talk at the moment about the Blitz spirit. You know, you listen to Farage talking about 1943 or 1945, like it was a glorious period in British history. The second half of the play is set in that glorious 
period, you know, Nigel Farage for me does make a, I, if there are any Farage fans in the house, I make no apology. Um, <laughs> uh, you can talk to me about it afterwards. But Farage appears in one form in the, in the second half as a, as a, a woman. And, um, uh, and I think it's great to see the small-minded, the small-island-mindedness of, uh, of certain parts of our society then, and to own the fact that that is not a million miles away from uh, our attitudes now. We, I think it's massively important. From a very young age, you kind of understood what inequality was. You know, you're brought up in Africa and Malaysia. You have that kind of sensitivity to you. This theatre makes that quite clear that it's open-minded and liberal. You've said before that you think theatre pretends to be liberal, but it's still snobbish and still a bit closed. Do you think that will ever change? Do you think stories like Windrush, like, like Small Lining, could only happen in spaces like this? No, I think it's, I think it's changing very quickly. Um, if you look at the, at the, the sort of you know, 10, or 10 or 11 most prominent London subsidised theatres, and I know that's only London, but it also applies to a, a different degree outside London. Ten years ago, of those 11, um, uh, 10 of them were run by men, and one of them was run by a woman, and they were all run by white people. Now, seven of them are run by women, and four of them are uh, run by people who aren't white. That's in, that's in 10 years. I think we've been slow off the mark, but it's but uh, the the you know in in the wake of the Windrush scandal and Me Too and the you know the the, the positive effects of social media and broader information, I think large parts of society are are have grown increasingly impatient, and that has forced the change to go quicker. And I think that's a good thing. I think you're right. I think theatre has watching from from you know my day job. I think theatre does take risks and is broader and a bit more open. But why do you think theatre can do that while well, we're still struggling a bit to see representation in film and other genre? That's usually financial. Mm. Having having worked a bit in film, you know, it's it's who who have you got in the cast? I was making a film once and 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 I got um uh, I got Colin Firth, um and he won an Oscar. And I still had Colin Firth for a bit, and my budget went from a million and a half to five million, five and a half million, six million. Colin Firth came off the movie, went down to 750,000, like, like that, wow. in the day that it happened. And that's just business. That's just who's going to pay a ticket to come and see it, which is, which is a little bit different. We are subsidised, and people will come to the National Theatre because we have decided to put on a play, to an extent. You know, if we put Brian Cranston in the show... It's great because people who don't normally come to the theatre come, uh, uh, will, will come, and the people who do normally come to the theatre get the chance to see a fantastic theatre actor on stage. Um, but we're protected to a degree in a way that the more commercial ends aren't. However, those people, like we were talking about Dave Harewood, mm. but you know, Idris Elba, who I think you might have been working with today, mm. um, I Idris has become box office because, you know, because of his own hard work, but because of, uh, you know, because of uh, gradually climbing up through opportunities. And if those opportunities are made, because it's creatively a great thing, um, uh, the, the, the rest of it will follow. So do you still think that um, being diverse and inclusive, be it gender or otherwise, is seen as a risk? Well, on, in the short term, uh, I, I can't answer that. It isn't, you know... Um, but in the same way that, you know, we're dependent on... Uh, in the model that we're working to, to now, we've, we, we've, we've played to 91% box office capacity for the last three years. Um, and we're not putting away 
There's my chairman of the board up there, <laughs> Sir Damon Buffini. We're not, we're, much to Damon's uh, chagrin, we're not managing to stick loads of money into reserves because that's what we need to break even. So I can't program a, a show in this house unless I'm confident that people are going to come. And uh, in a way, an independent film company is more exposed than that. So, so there is a financial risk. Um, you know, I remember in, in that very film, I wanted an actor to play one of the lead parts uh, and, the, and, the, and the finances wouldn't go for it, who's called Chiwetel Ejiofor. You know, <laughs> a year later, they were going, oh, you know that guy, so I'm sorry, you've blown it. He's, Too late. You, you missed the boat on that. So I think the answer is there has to be a certain amount of pressure to, to, uh, to, to change, uh, to address that landscape of risk um, so that more people become, become bankable. You know, when we did another show in here with Marianne Jean-Baptiste, uh, no problem because she'd gone over to uh, find her way in L.A. and had absolutely found her it's way. It's usually that boomerang effect, isn't it, with that talent? Often I can only imagine that at the, at the stage of your, both your careers, you're, you're going to take projects that are going to stretch you and challenge you. Has, what has been the learning curve with this production? Well, I, I mean, I, certainly I've, it was one of the hardest ones I've, I've done, in t just in terms of technically trying to find a way to unlock the the storytelling, not so much the 1948 section, which was, you know, the scene, the things which happen in 1948 are sort of inherently dramatic and have a sort of sweep to them. The, the earlier sections of the, uh, you know, the, the novel, or the, because it jumps about a bit, but there was so much which wasn't inherently dramatic. So it was a, it was a really tough, um, an exciting kind of technical exercise for me to try to to find some way of actually structuring it that, that worked, um, and it took me, you know, it took me ages to to get there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I guess, and just just you know, the, as Rufus was saying, the kind of learning curve of it has been you know, is, is fantastic and is why, is why I keep, keep going, I suppose. Rufus, for you, learning curve, experience of this one? Yeah, I mean, it, it, enormous, really challenging. There are 50 scenes, I think, in the first half. Um, and uh, on this stage, and there's a peculiar thing about this stage where if I'm going yeah, to... Bear with me now. So if you imagine that I'm entering from here, which is pretty much the first place that you can enter from. You can come from here, but it's weak. So uh, if I come at a, at a good pace... <laughs> now I'm going to pick up my cue. All the energy has completely gone from the scene and the audience will be walking out. Two or three entrances like that in here. You think, oh, it's okay, we've got to revolve. But this revolve actually moves quite slowly. So to, to move from one environment to another in any normal situation in here is quite difficult. This is one of your challenging spaces. It, it, it is in, in that sense. Mm. I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant space. You know, when Helen was talking about the director dress, mm. and, uh, you know, so uh, for an actor to be able to go, I'm going to freeze the, uh, the action now and talk to you uh, about what's, what's going on. You can feel, you know, you, you, it, it's lovely for that. It's very Greek in that sense. But in terms of the dynamic of literally going scene, 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 when you've got 50 in the first half... Mm. And it's a pace. Is, yeah, so you've got, to be, uh, you've, got to be, you've got to keep pace without rushing it. You've got to give time and space for the kind of musical rhythm through it. 
Andrea chose very wisely. I remember on the first, um, on the first preview, uh, so many things that Helen knew that I'd be going, well, oh, grumble, grumble, grumble through, mm. through rehearsals, and then actually she'd go, no, uh, she'd just hold on and it will be fine, and lo and behold, it was, because she totally knows what she's doing in that sense, and that was essential. Mm. But, uh, so one of the learning curves was continue to work with brilliant people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yes, um, yeah, and that's just the technical stuff. In, in, I, think, I think there was a very specific learning curve. In, in Andrea's lesson to me about tell this through my prison, your, your politics are all very well, but in, you are in service to me. I don't mean that to sound arrogant, because she didn't mean it arrogantly, she was just stating it. Mm. And I think having had a lifetime of being patronized, uh, she wasn't about to be patronized by me. And so that was a good lesson in humility, actually. Right, I'm going to have to... I know it's your house, but I'm going to have to take charge and stop you there, partly because your actors have got to get ready and get on stage. I want to thank you all for coming and for your questions, and please join me in thanking Helen and Rufus. Thank you. Thank you.